Hey, today we are super excited about our guest, Benjamin Holly. Now, Benjamin is a SDR at Lightyear and a super accomplished rep in our space. He's held number one spots for pipeline generated, opportunities created, and accepted pipeline in the roles he's held. And in this episode, we're going to talk about negotiations, setting boundaries with prospects, and Benjamin is going to give away an awesome resource for you at the end of the show. This is how I sold this, where top performers share their selling stories with the goal of helping you close more deals, close bigger deals, and grow your sales skills. This show is sponsored by President's Club Investors, where we help top producers replace their income with passive income by investing in apartment buildings. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of How I Sold This. Today, I am super excited to sit down with my friend, Benjamin Holly. Now, Benjamin is an SDR at Lightyear.ai. He's a former motorcycle sales rep, which I think that is just so freaking cool. We're going to dive into his passions there and how that translates into a really robust sales career with him and really how he's finding and moving jobs. He's done something that a lot of people are looking to do right now and, and, and upgrading his position. So we're going to walk into a lot of that stuff too. He also loves to produce a lot of music. Before we started recording, we were talking a lot about that, doing a lot of experimental stuff as a personal passion. So Benjamin, man, we are super excited to have you on the show today. I'm super excited as well, Justin. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me out. Yeah, of course. I mean, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a little while now. And anybody who's not connected with Benjamin, I definitely recommend that. I'll put his his profile link in the show notes. But great content, just a great guy. I feel like I've I knew you before I reached out to you just because I see you all the time. And that's kind of the point of those things, right? To build out that really good network. Um, so tell me, you got your start out selling motorcycles. Was that your first kind of job out of the gate, or were you've always been in sales, or did you do stuff before that that kind of set you up there? Yeah. So, um, that my job history on LinkedIn starts when I'm like 27 or 28. I can't remember. So I definitely had some jobs before that. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as like sales roles go, I, I think I did some telemarketing when I was like 18 or 19 yeah. or something like that. And, um, you know, what's funny is people ask, Oh, well, how long have you been in sales or whatever? And, uh, you know, it really up until like some point last year, I would have told you that motorcycle sales was like the first sales role that I ever had. But um, I actually ran a recording studio out of my house um, before that, where I did obviously recording, but you know, yeah. as a sole proprietor, you're like, you're in sales, like yeah. no matter what industry you're in. And I did all the marketing on Instagram mm -hmm. and set up like promos and, you know, uh, you know, closed clients and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, ask for referrals. So all the kind of stuff that you know, we, we do in sales, but I didn't, wouldn't have told you that I was in sales at the time. Yeah. I think that's something that so many people maybe don't realize, like when they start a business, they're very passionate about it, but maybe they're, they don't like sales or they're, they're not good at that. They don't want to be good at that. And they kind of realize, shoot, I have this really cool product or this really cool thing. You know, how come nobody's coming here to, to pay me for it? And that's like a missing link. The first thing that they have to do. Um, is that why you think a lot of people when they're in sales, kind of look at starting side hustles and doing side businesses because they kind of have that piece figured out or what's your thought on that that topic? I've seen a lot of that on LinkedIn, especially. Yeah. So it's, what's funny about that is, yeah, I'm actually literally um, have an open page on my browser right now where I'm going to create a LinkedIn company profile. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we go. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm asking ChatGPT to make me a logo. That's like <laughs> holding me up. But um, yeah. So 
that's an interesting question because a lot like for me, like what, as I've sort of progressed through sales, um, you know, what I've realized is that, well, not realized I was told actually when I worked at motorcycles that everybody's in sales, it doesn't matter what your job title is. You know, if you're the janitor, you're in sales, like, yeah. And if, and if, and if everybody at a company knew that and internalized that and like lived that, like it'd be a very successful company, but people mm-hmm. think they're in it or they're in customer success. No, 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 no. Like you're in sales, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, I think a lot of sales reps, like they go through, you know, their sales career and they're like, wow, you know, I've been successful. And, um, you know, why am I doing this for somebody else? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's places where if you close a million dollar deal, you'll get like 30, 40 grand, which is a lot, but, um, you know, what happened to the other $970? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big part of it. And and I think that it's like sales is the lifeblood of the business. And so I think a lot of people think, well, hey, if I have this part down, I can just start funneling this into my own thing. And like you said, capture more of that Delta. But I was just curious. I love to see people's take because it seems like people tend to fall on one side of the fence. The first is, yes, side hustles are great. Um, you know, you should, you can, can and should make as much money as you want. And the other side is, well, if you're in sales, why do a side hustle? Why not invest in your own skills and be better at sales and sell more of your product? And that's a, a maybe more streamlined way of making more money. So I just like to see different people's opinions, but um, tell me about when you got, how did you get started in motorcycle sales? That was probably something you were passionate about. Um, you seem like a motorcycle guy with the locks kind of flowing in the wind and the nice long hair you got. Um, was that starting off as a passion and kind of grew into sales or were you looking for sales roles and, and kind of stumbled upon that? Yeah. Um, I wasn't looking for that at all, actually. <laughs> um, I, after COVID, um, you know, I tried to go back to school, but like a lot of people probably did during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had, you know, sort of a, a family event happen mm-hmm. and I dropped out of school and like, um, you know, places were starting to open back up again and I'm like running out of money. I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? Not like in a battle. Oh my God, what am I going to do? But I was just yeah. like, well, I got to go back to work. Yeah. Um, and I bought a motorcycle from a dealership a couple of years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they treated me very well and I got a good deal on it. And I was like, well, you know what? Like, um, let me just go talk to these guys and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's sort of how I landed into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went over there, I said, Hey, are you guys hiring for sales reps or whatever? And the interview process was amazingly short. Uh, he said, Hey, <laughs> why don't you come back here and make a phone call from my desk? And, uh, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, no way. Yeah. It's like that alarmingly short interview. Uh, like those are typically red flags for places. If they're like, yeah, can you start like tomorrow or right now? And you're like, hold on, let's, let's pump the brakes. So, I mean, you, you made the call, you sound like you probably crushed it. Um, so sounds like it started more as a passion for that thing and not really looking in, into sales specifically. It sounds like maybe you didn't grow up with like a salesman on your wall. Like that wasn't what you had all encompassing or dreamed about being, but you found a lot of success in that role. Um, mm-hmm. So you were a, a very top producer there. Um, how was that role in regard? Like, did you go to that role and think, okay, I, I like sales. I'm, I'm, doing pretty good at it. I want to keep exploring this opportunity or was the opportunity not good enough to stay there? Is that why you branched out or, you know, what was happening in that phase of your career? Yeah. So I I love selling motorcycles. I love being around them. Um, You know, I could just pick whichever one I wanted to go out and just like test drive it if I wanted to. And yeah, it's awesome. Um, The downside of it is that it's a very labor intensive job um, Mm. hours wise. 
Um, and if I wanted to, be, and the reason I was, you know, a top performer there is because I was in there like six days a week, like 50 yeah. hours a week. And, um, and there's nothing, I don't have anything against hard work, but, um, that, but when I started, I got on LinkedIn and I started to see these people, I, I got, uh, brainwashed by the tech sales marketing, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I'd be like, oh, you're going to make so much money, you know, work from uh-huh. home or whatever. And, um, so that's sort of how I, I re- it's sort of like the kind of people with the side hustles, right? I realized I was like yeah. a slightly better way to go about this where I could get more return on mm-hmm. a lower investment. Um, so that's sort of how I got attracted to tech sales. Very cool. What's your experience been like in tech sales now? I mean, a lot of people, they look at it for the opportunity and potential because you can really make phenomenal money in tech sales. And a lot of roles even give you a lot of, of freedom and responsibility. We were just talking before we recorded about you in this role. Now you can build out your own systems. You can build out kind of your own processes and follow your own structure. Um, but a, a side that maybe not a lot of people do talk about is it is a lot of hard work for a lot of people. A lot of the times the people you see on stage or the people you see hitting club all the time, you know, they may not have that much of a balance. Have you found that to be the case for your experience so far or, or how have you managed that? Yeah. Um, so when I was at PandaDoc, definitely. And um, I was number one at PandaDoc for, you know, a few months out of the you know year and some change that I was there, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, four or five times or whatever. Yeah. And- during those months, um, yeah, I was definitely lacking balance, man. Um, it was an inbound primarily like position mm-hmm. and we had talked to clients from all over the world. So like I would keep my calendar open, like I would have wow. like late night calendar opening, you know, nine yeah. PM or whatever, um, you know, to get a couple of extra opportunities in and like mm-hmm. it paid off. But um, but yeah, going forward, I realized like I need to find a more sustainable, like scalable way to do this because I definitely had felt like burned out there on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Is that something that you found was expected or something that you were doing that was above and beyond? Um, Definitely above and beyond. The other girl, Jamie Venice, shout out to Jamie Venice, uh, was top performer most of the other months. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't and she did the same thing. And I was just basically copying her like she had her calendar open late some days and had like 9pm appointments and stuff like that. Wow. And um, yeah, and that was the only way to beat her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of seasons of your career, right? I think there's some seasons where you work very, very hard and you work a lot of hours. Um, then there's some seasons where you lay off a little bit or some seasons where you're laying the foundation for something great. So you're sacrificing a lot for for future leniency. So, you know, I don't think I'm any any stranger to that or, or even against kind of that hustle culture. Um, but do you feel like in, and you've been around the tech sales space now, and you actually have a, a cool thing that you have some resources to help people get jobs in the tech sales space, whether new or or, vert- or you know moving laterally. So we'll talk about that in a minute too. But do you feel like that happens a lot in this space where people are kind of put to these expectations that you know you're always going to be on, you've got to do everything you can to, to hit your number, no matter what it takes to sacrifice your you know personal health, mental health. You know you hear a lot of that stuff. Um, and one of the reasons why people leave the tech sales space, have you seen that be very, very evident or is that a little bit blown out of proportion in your opinion? Mm, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience and at PandaDoc, um, I don't think that that was, there was not a spoken expectation of that, but mm. not. And before I say this, this isn't like a negative reflection of PandaDoc. It's really just like where the economy's at and yeah. where sales is at right now but like if you wanted to hit your numbers like you did have to go above and beyond yeah Uh, and so i don't and i don't know i mean 
you know, this sounds cliche, but like Rome wasn't built in a day, like Rome wasn't <laughs> working 40 hour weeks, you know, whatever you think about Rome, um, I'm going to get canceled because I'm saying that Rome was cool, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can, uh, I hadn't experienced that like mm-hmm. hustle culture where people were demanding that I do more. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a hard line too, because I don't know if you've seen this around, but, um, I've started to see something circulating on other social media platforms. It seems a lot to happen in like the finance world or in the law world where there is a very, very outwardly spoken expectation that like, no, you do not get days off. You know, your first you know year or two years here, you do not take PTO. You do not, you do not turn your phone off. You're always on Slack. And there are some organizations or industries where that's a lot more common. And I think what a lot of people are finding here in the sales space is realizing that balance and longevity actually beats that you know, intensity. Um, it's better to have those reps that have been there for years and years and they, they're happy. They love what they're doing instead of saying, Hey, after two years, I'm so burnt out. I just, I just can't do this anymore. I got to do something else. Um, so I think there's a, is a, is a shift there, but you know, like you said, you, you kind of kill what you, you eat, what you kill in this space. And sometimes if you want to work late, that's totally fine. It's just about knowing what your boundaries are and, and what your expectations are, of what you want to get out of it. If you're a high-performing sales rep and want to reduce and eventually eliminate your dependency on the daily hustle and grind of sales, then head to our show notes and download our Retire Within 10 bundle. You'll learn the top secret investing strategy for sales professionals, learn how to replace your income fast with passive income, and get a special bonus gift that will help you mitigate investing risk in the future. All of this to help you replace your income and expedite your road to retirement. So, man, I love the things that you've been talking about in your career in sales. You know, have you had any sales that have stuck out to you, whether positive or negative? Uh, I feel like everybody has these stories of whether they're crazy prospects or customers or something you learned a ton from. Like, what's a phenomenal sales story that you have that you learn a lot from? Hmm. Um, yeah, so there's there's a, a I do have a successful sale when I was selling motorcycles. Um, one of the big draws for the for iMotorsports was the company that I work for. It's a great company. Um, if anybody wants to buy a motorcycle, we ship all over. Well, not we, but they ship all <laughs> over um, anywhere in the lower 48. Um, and so I'm in Florida, and there's this guy who wanted this um, Harley Davidson. Um, I can't remember. It was a crazy nice Harley. And uh, he was out in Washington state. And uh, this guy was also in sales. He did like wholesale for, I don't know, lumber or something like that. Yeah. Uh, whenever I sold to other sales reps, they were either like the easiest laydowns ever, or they would just like fight over like a hundred bucks for like yeah. weeks. And I'd be like, Oh my God, this was not worth the commission <laughs> I made on the sale. And this guy was the, on the, the ladder. Um, okay. <laughs> I never listened to this, so it's not a big deal. Um, but um, yeah, so he just really, how do I put it? Um, we were going to ship the bike over there and he just demanded like every guarantee that the bike would be in good condition when it got there and that everything would be fine. And, uh, you know, that the handler wouldn't scratch it or scuff it or anything. I took like so many pictures of this bike that were, I mean, we already have a professional photographer take pictures of the bike, but mm-hmm. I literally went over every inch of this bike. And, um, you know, he was just always, he just kept asking for stuff up front. Like he kept, mm-hmm. kept asking for like discounts, guarantees, whatever, yeah. the whole way through. And, um, part of it was because like at the time I was a little bit inexperienced and he felt like he could leverage that. Sure. Uh, and I, and 
you know what I learned. And so the bike got sold and sent up there and everything was fine. But, you know, sort of like what I learned from this is like, um, when somebody starts testing you up front, like you just have to stand your ground. Like the bike was already priced at a reasonable, um, rate going rate for that model. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people just like to feel like they're getting over on you. It doesn't matter how good of a deal they're already getting. Yeah. He was being unrealistic, but I was also like kind of afraid to say that at the time, you know, and I had to like get back up from my finance manager and my general manager. And as a sales rep, like you never want your manager to have to come in and step in for you because Mm -hmm. then you've like lost authority. You've lost agency. You're no longer trusted advisor. Now you're just like some jamoke that this person has to deal with, like to get what they want. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a massive lesson, especially for newer reps, because you always are leaning kind of on that manager, whether you feel like the manager can help you or you just maybe want to buy yourself some time and you don't know what to say. So you're like, well, let me go check with my manager. Um, but really it, it may not seem like a big deal, but it circumvents you a ton. It pulls so much authority from you. And then next thing you know, you know, when I used to be be in direct sales and I did that one time, I remember, I remember ever since, ever since that one time I let it happen, my manager was just forwarding me the, the messages that the prospect would send to to him. And then I would say, Hey, I saw you messing with my manager. And then I would answer it. Then the next week, I would get another forwarded message. So it really does circumvent you. And and in a way, it's somewhat justified. Hey, if you're just the middleman, why do I need to waste my time here? I'll just go to the, the guy or girl that you need to talk to to get me get me the stuff. So um, since then, how do you kind of set that boundary with with prospects? How do you, you know, put yourself as that authority? And if you start to feel like somebody's starting to come come at you a little bit rough or aggressive and start to pull a lot of stuff up front, you know, what are some ways that you kind of set that boundary and, and prevent that experience from happening again? Mm, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can say, you know, one thing that my role right now is a little bit different just because uh, in the SDR role, I don't get that far into the deal cycles, but mm-hmm. uh, regardless, like the thing that I always try to do, not only in sales, but like my personal life, or if I'm buying something from somebody or whatever, yeah. like, I just need to set a very clear expectation and like be very firm that, you know, I'm going to be accountable to the expectations that I set and, and you are also going to be accountable. Mm-hmm. So like it working it both ways and mm-hmm. uh, not letting people, because the, the one of the thing about this guy was that like, um, he, like he would email me so that everything was in writing and then he would like try to change the terms of our agreement. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like you're accountable, I'm accountable. We're both going to be accountable. Yeah. Uh, so just trying to like put that, principle into practice, you know, since then it's something big for me. Do you think there's a method of when it comes to, you know, you're at at what feels like the finish line of the deal, and especially with very high ticket items, there's almost always going to be a level of negotiation there, right? Whether it's price or terms or deliverabilities or whatever it's going to be. What is your thought process on always having something ready to give in a way, because some people like to just negotiate, just negotiate. They like to feel like they won. You know, they like to feel like if they just took your first offer, they maybe left something on the table. Um, you know, when you when it comes to negotiating, I don't know how much negotiation you did in the motorcycle game um, or in your, in your rules now, but do you feel like it's important to have something on the table in case you're asked? You kind of give a little bit of give and take to make the, them feel like they got a pretty good deal, or what's your strategy now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, now I'm an SDR. So it's, again, it's a little bit different when I was selling yeah. motorcycles though. So um, this might be a dirty trick. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, our delivery was free uh, mm-hmm. when I was selling bikes, wherever you were, like it was free. Um, and, uh, you know, people would be like, well, you, and I, but I wouldn't tell people that like, unless they yeah. specifically asked, um, they'd be like, well, you know, um, 
you know, could I get this or that or whatever? I'm like, how about this? Why don't we just do free delivery? You know, it's worth 500 bucks, you know, that'd be like uh, worth your while, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Um, stuff that we're already offering that like mm. uh, they just might not be aware of. But I mean, but beyond that, yeah, to like these days in, in SAS though, like what we've done, what we did at PandaDoc and um, I'm honestly, I'm not sure how Lightyear does their negotiations, but at PandaDoc, we would be like, listen, this is how we do business. Like uh, mm. we would give them the terms of our discounts up front. Like we're, we're willing to do discounts. We're willing to, you know, work with you guys, but you need to buy more seats or sign mm. on for a longer term contract or buy onboarding or yeah. whatever. So there's like always a give and take. And, um, mm. you know, we sort of, did, I mean, we did that at the, at the dealer, the motorcycle dealership as well, you know? Um, yeah. I feel like there's there's two camps, right? There's there, that strategy, which hey, this is the upfront. These are kind of always the rules we play with. Uh, you know, you're gonna fit in these buckets. We'll do the best for you. And then there's the you know, let's let's negotiate on some aspect. I remember when I was selling homes, people love to negotiate on buying and selling homes, and rightfully so, right? I mean, my average home sale was two point two million dollars. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you for a couple hundred grand off. You know, it, it's just it's just natural. Um, it was always taught to me, you know, never take the first offer and don't take the second offer. Always settle within that third or fourth because if you take the first offer, people immediately go, oh my God, I was too, you know, too generous or I I did too much. You know, hold on, let's let's take a step back. And so I just think it's so interesting. That game taught me so much about negotiations. And then a lot of my friends in SaaS or in other big ticket B2B sales, you know, the negotiation cycles can be weeks, months, however long it takes to get all the parties on board. So I love to hear hear people's different uh different strategies to it. Um, so you have a, a passion that you've been working on now. I love you. I've been seeing you talk about it on LinkedIn a lot. Um, you have a couple of resources for it. You're helping people find jobs within the tech space, uh, brand new or or maybe get into the space. You know, Tell me a little bit about that. What made you do that? Um, is that a, a business of yours, a passion project of yours or tell us a story there? Yeah. So um, when I got into SaaS, I had a lot of people help me out. Um, I did a couple of like, coffee chats and stuff like that with people. Um, messaged a lot of people. They gave me referrals and stuff like that, yeah. um, which I definitely appreciate. But LinkedIn, you know, more broadly educated me like through mm. watching people's posts and that kind of thing. So um, I did put together a resource. It's just a PDF with like, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes of like videos of me talking about a couple of things as well as like okay. email frameworks for hiring managers, questions to ask people in the interview process. You know, my, my sort of like broader philosophy on like reaching out to recruiters and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did that just to give back. Um, I think that there's a, I, well, I know that there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of them are like paid resources and, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I hope this isn't like too hot of a take or whatever, but just like when I see people like charging job seekers for, uh, stuff that they could get for free, like it kind of yeah. hurts me a little bit. Um, so, you know, charging people for stuff that like, they you know that's going to help them when they're on the job is fine mm -hmm. uh, charging unemployed people <laughs> that's yeah that's why i put together that resource awesome where can people find that should they head to just your profile do you have a specific site for because i think that's something that's so powerful especially now you know first first few months of 2024 when a lot of people could use that um yeah i believe it's on gumroad um which i'll send you the link to put it in the show notes perfect um, and I'm honestly not even sure where you'd find it. Other than, <laughs> I don't think I have a pinned link anywhere for it. 
Well, we'll have it in the show notes for sure. So that'll be a, a really great resource. And really, you know, listeners, Benjamin is a freaking super smart guy. He's been around this block a couple of times, um, just even talking in our pre-records and talking over LinkedIn, a really sharp guy. Uh, I know the resource is going to be fantastic. I'm going to download it myself. So uh, man, Benjamin, any final parting words for the listeners? We, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience and your knowledge. Um, n- no, I, well, I don't know. Um, I guess I should just shout out the new company that I'm working for, Lightyear.ai. Um, it's for people who are trying to procure telecom services and manage network inventory. Probably not a lot of people doing that who are listening to this podcast. But um, if you are, if you do know anybody who is a network engineer, IT director, or anything like that, you know, send them my way. Uh, would love to chat with them. Other than that, Justin, I super appreciate your time, man. Definitely honored to be included. And in, uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listeners, thank you so much for spending some of your most valuable resource with us, which is your time. And Benjamin, man, thanks so much for hopping on the show. This was great talking to you. All right, brother. Talk to you soon, man.